purpose over preference. And, and we're excited about this because I believe, listen to me, this may be some crazy idea, but I believe that God sets in the heart of man and woman a purpose and a plan. I believe that God created you for a reason so that you can make a difference in your world and the rest of the world around you. I believe that God has set purpose in the heart of man. But the, this is what I also understand living more than one minute on this earth. Yes, God has plans. God has purpose, but the enemy does just as well for your life. And sadly, what happens is we listen to his plans and his purpose and they become preference and we choose preference over purpose versus God's purpose over our preference. So we got to glean from the life of David a little bit in the 23rd Psalm. Hopefully you've enjoyed that. Uh, we, we've been gleaning from his life and just loving, uh, growing deeper with him and what he went through, a man after God's own heart. And he understood this purpose over preference thing. Just in case you don't get it, let's, let's define, you'll see purpose over preference. The reason, this is what purpose means. The reason for which is something is done or created or for which something exists. And we think about that with our lives. Something set up as an object or end to be attained. And we think about that with our relationship with the Lord. But then this preference thing, remember the act of preferring, the power or opportunity of choosing, one that is preferred. Also, we see as we should uh, find our purpose and preference in the Lord, we can sometimes pr prefer the purpose and plans of the enemy. So we want to make sure that we glean from this life of David that he gave us an opportunity to look in and to grow with him through what he went through. So look, the 23rd Psalm, you may have heard this before many times growing up. You may have recited it and prayed it before you went to football games. I remember that when I was a kid before our baseball game, we'd do stuff like this. Uh, it was exciting. But this is something that has helped me in the process to regain my purpose in him. Even me, someone that's supposed to have everything together as a pastor and a spiritual leader, I need to continue to find my purpose in him. So read with me on the screen. You don't have to read out loud, but you'll see it there. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And that's where we went the last couple weeks, this understanding that he is our shepherd, that he is with us, that he leads us and he guides us. And when we, went, when we are with him, we want for nothing, right? And he makes me lie down in green pastures. Remember, it's hard for us to rest sometimes. We struggle with lying down because our minds are going at such a rate, it is almost impossible. But he makes us lie down because he removes things from our lives that make it impossible for us to lie down. Fear, tension. Do you remember this stuff? Pests. You know, when someone's bugging you, you ever had that kind of thing? You're like, yes, my roommate, Lord help me, okay? <laughs> if you're married, <laughs> we'll talk about that later, okay? But also, you know, you, you see these aspects that, that, that really just take away, but, but hunger. And when we think about hunger, we think about those soul deep cravings that we have that we can only find in and through the shepherd and the pastures that he has created for us, the, the soil that he has tilled, the ground that he has worked, the roots and the, and the rocks and all these things that he has removed and these, these seeds that he has planted so that we can have green pastures. So we see how amazing the shepherd is. And he leads me beside those quiet waters. He leads me beside those places where I find peace in him. Where we're going today is verse 3. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You can picture David just lamenting before God, but also exclaiming who God is in his life. He says, through the darkest valley, 
presence of my enemy. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David understood that God was his shepherd. But then we see Jesus make even more sense of this as he refers to himself as the good shepherd in John 10. He said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He's saying that I am the one, the shepherd of their lives that controls their coming and going. So we came to this realization. You can read that scripture some more if you'd like. But we came to this realization that the Lord is our good shepherd. And we came to this place in our lives where we said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's so important because that's what David was able to say as he journeyed with God. He was able to say that the Lord is my shepherd. And what we've continued to do is to look at the rest of these verses with that pretense and understanding that the Lord is my shepherd and we fill in the blank. So let's start this morning with this. The Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Have you ever felt like you have just been knocked down, beat to, to, to smithereens, dragged out, all that kind of stuff? Have you ever felt like you're just like, ah, and you're just laying on your back, wore out? Anybody ever felt that way? Has a situation or a circumstance come in your life and it just took you out, wiped you out, knocked you down, and here you are just like, <laughs> on the ground, You're slightly jerking a little bit, <laughs> you know, like, you know, maybe it's like that right before you fall asleep thing, <laughs> you know, that, that little shake, but you just, all you can do is just sit there <laughs> defenseless laying there and you're in need of what restoration. And it's so important that we know that the Lord, my shepherd will restore me. Okay, David understood this feeling well. We see this in Psalm 42, verse 11. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? This term will make sense in just a moment. Why so disturbed within me? Have you ever been in that place before you went to bed at night and you felt like, why am I just such a mess? Why am I so disturbed? Why do I feel like my soul is just in knots? What's wrong with me? God, why do I feel this way? See, he knew that he had the shepherd with him. And what we have to realize as well, that we have the shepherd with us who will restore us. So what does this downcast mean? What does it mean to be cast down? Well, it's, it's actually a sheep term. I love this because Philip Keller is helping us to look at the 23rd Psalm because he was a shepherd who took a look at the Psalm after shepherding in his life. And he helps us understand something about being downcast that's very important or being cast down. This is a visual, okay? This is an understanding that as a sheep goes out, you know what I'm saying? They're doing their life. They're doing their thing. All of a sudden, they go to certain places within the pasture and they find themselves turned upside down and on their back. You see the definition there, a sheep that has been turned over on its back and cannot get up again by itself. It cannot. Now, that would be funny to see in a way, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be great, you know? But it's not. Because <laughs> here's, here's some realities about this, guys. This is, this is real deal stuff. That a sheep by itself in this position, if it's hot out, if it's a terrible, muggy, nasty day, this sheep will die within hours. Hours. If it's a beautiful day, it's a beautiful, if it's a beautiful day and it's nice out and the weather's perfect, maybe a few days. 
But what happens is when that sheep gets turned over, the gas in that first stomach, that, that rumen, I think is what they call it, that first stomach, that, that <laughs> future farmers of America, baby, woo! Okay, <laughs> Cecil got me covered, all right? Cecil County, Maryland. So this, this gas within their stomachs begins to expand, and as they're on their back, it goes to the extremities, which are the feet that are in the air, and all of a sudden, before they know it, blood circulation begins to cut off, and the sheep's like, eh, eh, eh. Eh, eh, you know what I'm saying? Because the, the movement stops. The sheep is cast down. The sheep is in a cast position on its back, not able to get back up again. But however, this is something that we need to understand. The good shepherd is always looking for his sheep. He's always watching his sheep. He's always watching his flock to see, are any of my sheep like Christopher said, are any of my sheep missing? Are any of my sheep out of the count, out of the fold, out of the pasture? We have this good shepherd. Thank you, Lord, for sending your only begotten son, this good shepherd that is always looking for you. So what do you do when you find yourself in this downcast position in life? First thing is you always know that he's counting. He's always looking at the flock and he's counting to see if you are missing. Like I just said, are you missing? Are you out of the count? I'm encouraged by this because I know there was times when I removed myself from the count and I put myself in cast positions, but I know my good shepherd was still looking for me. He was still looking for me. He was still counting the flock and saying, my boy, Justin's missing. I love him so much. He has so much to give. You look at some of these prize ewes, that these, these mama sheep that can produce such wonderful life. And you look at that, God looks at us and he says, you've got so much in you. There's so much that can come from you. There's so many great things. There's so many dreams, so many visions, so many plans for your life. I don't want to see you in a downcast position. I will count the flock to make sure you're in it. Also, he knows, listen to this. Know this, that the shepherd will waste absolutely no time getting to you. As soon as he sees you in that position, as soon as he sees you, he's running, beeline to you, running to you because you are his prized possession. Come on, somebody needs to hear that. Highly valued to him, highly favored, loved beyond anything else. But what's so beautiful about that, you will see him run at a pace that he's never run before. And But when he gets to you, what does he do? He gently picks you up. He gently picks you up. And that's a beautiful picture. He gently restores you. Are you with me on that? He gently restores you. It's so important. Ever so gently and methodically, he begins to roll you over slowly. He begins to rub your legs a little bit to get that circulation going again. He begins to talk to you. And he's like, oh, Charles, you're such a, you're such a sweet little sheep, but you dumb as a box of rocks. <laughs> he's, he's rubbing your legs. He's like, oh, Charles, look where you at. You cast. <laughs> Bless your heart and your big stomach that got gas coming out of it now. You're so cast right now. Why'd you, look, you know how you got here. You see what happened? Why'd you do this? Only the shepherd can gently restore you. See, we're not like that. People aren't like that. They see somebody over and first thing we do is run to them so we can point and laugh first. We say, you are stupid. Look at you. Does that sound like somebody else, the enemy? Absolutely. Because he'll lead you to this place where you can be downcast. And then when you get downcast, he says, man, you are stupid. You fell for it. You dumb. 
You're dumb. And there's no like, I love you, Charles. There's none of that. You are stupid. How did you let point? He, Jesus was the perfect example of gentle restoration. Like I just said, I made that point. He understood human nature. He understood us. He entered into our suffering. He entered into this manhood, this thing, but yet he still had compassion and concern for your life. He knows we're crazy. He knows we're messed up. He knows we don't have it all together, but yet his desire is to gently and ever so methodically restore you in his love. I love this. I heard this this week, and it was such a good thing to think about that we, we, hear, we, hear, we hear it often said that Jesus hung out with sinners. Have you ever heard that before? Jesus hung out with people. We're all sinners. He hung out with people. And when we begin to say that Jesus loved to hang out with sinners, we begin to ostracize people against other people. Jesus was drawn to brokenness, which means he's drawn to you and I. And Jesus, this is what's so great, is the only one that can do this restorative work. Nobody else can do it. He's excited to be with you because he's the one who can restore you like none other. Psalm 56, 13. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. A Psalm of David. This guy knew what it was like to walk in light, to walk in life, but he also knew what it was like to stumble hard and fall flat on his face. But he had this relationship with the shepherd that he could talk to him, that he could understand that he had been delivered from death. Jesus took on death so that he could restore us to life. Jesus took on death so that he could restore us to life. Yet sadly, we still find ourselves in broken places, don't we? We know that we've been restored. Everybody, raise your hand if you know that you have restoration. All of us, you just go ahead and go for it. Even if you don't know yet, please do it. It makes me feel really good. <laughs> it means you're listening. You're like, I'm listening. That's why I didn't raise my hand. But you think about this, guys. Think about it with me. We find ourselves back in broken places, even knowing that we have had a restorative work done by the King of Kings, by the Lord, by Jesus in our lives. Usually this happens when we think we have everything down pat and figured out, doesn't it? We get a little comfortable. We coast a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Man, I have been saved for uh, six months. Things are wonderful. I am in the right relationship with the Lord more than I ever have been before. You can tell by my voice. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> Woo! You're going to be up with T.D. Jakes here soon, you know what I'm saying? Ah! Okay, you're with me. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul's speaking again. So if you think you are standing firm, that you're good to go, brother and sister. Be careful that you don't fall. So you ask yourself, how do sheep get to these places? I talked about it a little bit, but this is going to make sense even in our own lives. This is what sheep do. When they head to the pasture, they look for a place that is nice and soft. You see that on your screen. They pick a nice little comfy place where they can bed down, you know, where they can start to eat. <laughs> Courtesy laugh. I love that. If you don't do it, when I do the podcast, I'll put the laugh in, all right? I'll put it in. Like, cue laugh. They try to find this place that is soft, that is wonderful and cozy and comfy, so they can eat a little bit, and then they can go just to gently lay down, but then all of a sudden, 
on their backs. See, we like things comfy and cozy, don't we? But I just like, we look over there, and, and I think about this one I mowed. There's this one hole in my yard. I could easily fill it in, but I just like to keep things fun, you know? This one hole. When the grass has grown, you don't see the hole. It is a soft spot in the yard. But there's been many times where I'm like, just walk, <laughs> you know, down in a hole. Down in a hole. Okay, so like down in a hole. It's a soft spot that I don't even realize how treacherous it can be, especially to someone who has cankles, you know, who's rolled your ankles 150 times already. We do that as sheep, though. We pick a nice, soft, tranquil spot to lay in because we think it's the best, the best place that we can be. That is the place where we find ourselves flipped over into a position we never expected. I like what Keller says here. Don't look for the easy way or the cozy corner or comfortable position in life. Where there is no difficult times in life, there is no need for endurance or the need for self-discipline. Don't look for the cozy corner. Don't look for the comfortable spot. Look at adversity. Look at difficulty and say, with God's help, with the shepherd with me, I can make it through here. Second thing, the reason why they get in a downcast position is they have too much wool. Now, see, this is a problem, okay? When you have too much wool, I don't know if you've ever had dogs. Anybody have dogs or even sheep? You may have had that too. All right. Uh, but if you've had dogs, you know that things get caught in their fur. Imagine how that would be with a sheep, okay? You've got burrs. You've got thistles. You've got, just let's just name it. It like, sounds like a storybook. You know, you've got everything, but also you've got something pretty bad called manure that can get in there as well. Crappy situation. So you see all of this. Because this sheep has too much wool. And what does that do? It begins to weigh them down. As they begin to become weighed down, they all of a sudden, oh, God, it's happening. It's happening. You know, boom, on their back. What needs to happen in this moment is that the good shepherd needs to come over. They need to come to their side, gently restore them, but also pull out the shears. It's time for a trim. It's time to take off some stuff. This stuff is weighing you down. And scripture, when you think about wool, there's an understanding that, that wool is something that is significant and symbolic of the past, of the old person. And a lot of times in our lives, we have to allow the good shepherd to shear away the past, to shear away the old person. They say that, the, that you couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies with wool on because it was so symbolic of the old person. We want him, the good shepherd, to take away the old and to bring in the new. We have to allow him to pull out the shears. I know it's scary, especially back then because they were like, shaking, shaking, shaking. Now they're like, you know. But imagine him coming out with some shaking, shaking shears, wanting to cut on you. You're like, that's my neck. That's my neck, shepherd. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't comfortable for either one, but the end result was absolutely amazing because they would not find themselves, especially the sheep, in a downcast place again. Another reason is because simply they are too fat. I'm not being mean. I'm just being real. Okay, sheep get big. And when they get too big, right? Oh, funny story. You got to hear this. So this was like when I was, a, when I was a youth pastor. This was great. You know, I thought I still had it. I thought I still had it. The kids say, let's play football. I'm like, let's play football. Let's play football. I'll play football. Well, oh boy, put on some weight. Okay, he put on a lot of weight. And all of a sudden, I'm running down the field. I'm like, yeah, what now? Who's the man now? Just feel it. It's starting to happen. 
all of a sudden gravity starts pulling in the front of me, okay, because there's a lot of weight up top. Uh, gravity starts pulling in the front of me, and I'm like, I'm going down. I say this to myself. I'm about to fall. Talk about momentum. I'm like, I'm, I'm going down. For I was going down. And what happened? Bam! Fell down, rolled, football up in there. They grabbed the football, run it all the way back. I was like, <laughs> I was downcast. Too fat, too furious. But what happens in these times is the shepherd will look at you and say, look, I'm going to watch you a little more carefully. I'm going to give you a little more attention than I did before. I'm going to watch how you graze. I'm going to watch where you go. I'm going to watch what you do because I love you. And you're getting too big. You're getting too proud. You got too much stuff in your life. You think you can make it on your own. You think that this is something that you can do. Revelation 3.17 talk about the rich and affluent but are in great danger. Why? Because they equate material success in things with godliness. You hear that hashtag blast? God's been good. Also, he's been terrible to others. That's good. Way to think about it. I like that. I've just been blessed, but they're in poverty. Well, their faults. So there's got to be some secret sin. Got to be some secret sin. You see what I'm saying by this? A lot of times we equate this with this, this fatness of our life, with godliness. And what he wants is for us to give everything unto him. And, and even these times, you think about it when he puts the sheep in the gym, if you will. Hebrews 12, 6, that God disciplines those he loves. He gets you back in shape because he loves you because he sees the value in you. He sees what you can produce in this life, and he also sees the purpose that he has within you. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is too great. No trial, no situation in your life is too great that he won't provide a way out. Why? Because he is the good shepherd, and he is with you. He knows what he's doing, and he is the only one who can restore our soul, restore us soul deep. The only one that can do it. Second part is this this morning, that the Lord is my shepherd and he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Sheep are known to be creatures of extreme habit. Anybody, can you identify with that? I love to have life a certain way. Anybody with me on that? A, B, C, one, two, three. The world is perfect. The stars have aligned. Everything is great. That's how sheep do. They are creatures of habit. They will walk the same path until it is a beaten path and until it becomes a rocky course, until it just ravishes the land. Sheep are creatures of habit. They will graze the same place and deplete all of the grass that's there. They will tear apart the pasture because they are creatures of habit. They cannot be left to their own leading. The greatest thing a shepherd can do for his sheep is keep them on the move. That's the best thing that a shepherd can do for his sheep. And that's what God does for us. He keeps us on the move. See, a shepherd knows the field. He knows when the sheep have grazed too long there and they're about to deplete the nutrients in that field. And he says, look, this pasture is no good for you right now. It's time to move. Daily he's watching it and weekly he's moving them because he knows what he's doing with you. Somebody got to hear that. He knows what he's doing with you. He's the one that created the pasture. He created you so he knows what to do with you. I don't want to be moved. I get it. I don't either. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't either. I don't want to feel pain. I finish it for me. But the shepherd knows what he's doing. And we have to trust his judgment. 
and trust him with our lives. His purpose is to lead us to the right place as he sees fit in his timing, right? That's his purpose. But our preference is to lead ourselves wherever we want and whenever we want to do it. We're doing, that sound familiar? It does to me. There's things I prefer many days over doing, sitting down and seriously, just sitting down and doing work, busy work. I can't stand it. I'd rather be out talking to you, but I got to do it because it's a part of the purpose. I prefer to do other things just as you do too, but his purpose has to supersede. This is our struggle. Isaiah 53, 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We lead ourselves astray, sometimes deliberately, most times deliberately, right? And repeatedly. Why? Because we're led with pride and self-assertion that we think we have to do this certain thing, that our idea is the greatest, when really the shepherd knows what we're supposed to do. We don't have enough information to make those kinds of decisions. Are you with me? Someone asked you, what's your, uh, what's your one-year plan? What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? You're like, this is already really making me pretty anxious right now, this conversation. A lot of times we don't want to say, I don't know. A lot of times we don't want to say that we don't know the next step. When we are in the shepherd's care, he will make sure the next step is secure because he knows us more than anybody else in this world. We lead ourselves and also others astray. Have you ever hiked with somebody? Anybody, I'm sure you have, hiked with somebody, but this type of person's a little bit different. They know everything about everything. Have you ever those kind? Don't point. Do not look at your neighbor if that is that person. This is not that kind of church right now, okay? <laughs> we're going to serve pizza afterwards like Planet Fitness because we're judgment-free, okay? <laughs> Work out, eat pizza. Makes sense. Okay, if you haven't been there, you'll get that. But we think about this in, in a real way. When you're following somebody down the path and you're looking and you see the blazes on the trail that are marked red, and you're just like, aren't we supposed to stay on the red blazes? And they're like, ah, meh, meh, you know. All of a sudden, you're both lost. This happens, though, doesn't it? We, we attach the cart to the wrong horse. We follow the wrong person when the only person we should and can and will hopefully follow is the good shepherd. So in contrast to leading ourselves astray, we must follow the one, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who holds all of that. John 14, 6, Jesus answered that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And also we see in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. See, but he came to give us life and life to the fullest. Are you with me? So deep down within, we want to lead ourselves because the natural stubborn nature says to do it. But we have to lend ourselves to the shepherd and to his care. Okay? We still have a good shepherd. Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So picture this with me. This is where we're at. We're in the car together. Me, you, and Jesus. We're hanging out. It's been a great trip. West Virginia roads, country roads, take me home. It was great, man. We had the playlist going. It was wonderful. But we get to the stop sign. He turns down the music. He says, look, this is it. Do you want to come with me the rest of the way? Or do you want me just to get out the car and you lead yourself? Because here's the thing. We're at the crossroads right now. And what you choose, I will let you choose. Because I'm not a dictator. I'm not that kind of shepherd. I'm not going to make you do anything in this instance. It's up to you what you want to do. We're at the stop sign. We're sitting in the car, and he asks the acid question that just burns to the soul of man. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you take my lead? Will you take my direction? 
Or do you want to do your own thing? How we respond to that reveals the condition of our heart. It does. It reveals the condition of our heart and that do we really want to come up under his care or do we want to follow our own leading? So how does this happen? It happens by denial. Denying who? Self of what we want, what we desire. Learning to deny yourself in a few ways. So important. Follow with me. You'll see. We should deny loving myself. I need to deny loving myself more than loving Christ. I need to deny myself and even my love for myself. Listen, I'm telling you, that's counterculture. It doesn't make sense. You got to love yourself before you can love somebody else. You have to. You got to love yourself. But Jesus says, look, you got to be willing to completely deny yourself and love me more. First John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's so crazy that when you actually love God and love people first, all of your needs are always met. Have you ever done that as an experiment in your life of trusting God in this way? Your needs are met. When we try to figure it out on our own and we choose our preference, we see that his purpose doesn't supersede because we've made it about us. We should deny blending in versus standing out. Let me tell you what, it is not popular to be a Christian. I am so stinking proud. Listen, older folks, are you stinking proud that this many students have chosen to be in church on Sunday morning? Older folks, can you do this with me? This, this isn't cool. This is taboo. Oh, you go to church? Aren't you like at a university and you know how to think? You think that church is Jesus? Come on. <laughs> See, standing out is not cool. Blending in is better. But you're choosing to follow the shepherd when you deny yourself and stand out for him. Also, being at the top. We should deny being at the top. And you think about this in this way. Are you willing to be considered the least of these? Or do you want to fight to be at the top all the time? Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to make yourself lower than others? I think about the story that Keller shared about the sheep, the one that was in the field that was grazing, having a wonderful time, just, just wonderful. Everything's great. And all of a sudden, Mama Yu comes into the field and she's like, gets all upset, starts butting everybody around and wants to express her position within the flock. That sheep that was grazing comfortably and cozy was okay with being with just the shepherd. Didn't worry about what was happening around it. Was okay in the shepherd's care. Because that sheep understood that being low under him was the best place that that sheep could ever be. Are you willing to take that position in your life? Denying yourself in this way and being at the bottom versus the top. We also should deny the why. It's okay to, to ask God questions and talk to him about life. You have to be able to do that. But denying the why is learning to co cooperate and comply with his wishes versus asserting our own will, right? And that, that, is that hard for anybody else to do? Sorry, that, I went a little head on that. It's, it's actually, that was the will part. We're going to get to that. It's good. Just wait, okay? But the why part is accepting life circumstances, even better, with an attitude of gratitude. That's my struggle. That's my struggle. A lot of times I want to say, why God? Versus, thank you, God. Because knowing that the shepherd is in the field with me, makes all the difference. It allows me to take the why and turn it into a thank you. My attitude is that of gratitude. So important. 
When we believe our lives are in his hands, we can accept his plan. When we believe that wholeheartedly, we can accept his plan. Then we should deny my will. This is learning, like I said before, to cooperate and comply with his wishes versus asserting our will. Philip Keller said this, the saints from the earliest times have repeatedly pointed out that nine-tenths of religion, of Christianity, of becoming a true follower, a dedicated disciple, lives in the will. Makes sense, doesn't it? It lives in the will. That's where it lives, that's where it thrives, or that's where it dies. So how will this, how does this happen in our lives? Worship team, you guys can come forward. We begin to understand self-denial. Taking up the cross and every day following him. I got this visual as I was preparing, as I was preparing this week of, of an understanding of, of, of I, lowercase letter I. Are you with me? So the little line with the dot on the top. Isn't it fun? <gasps> Great. A lot of times in life we say, I want, I desire, I need, I, I, I. But what I was thinking about this week is, is taking the cross and crossing out the I. But it's not a cross like an X, it's a cross like a T, like the cross that you see right there that Jesus died upon. And you think about it in a way where where we make the cross and what Jesus did in our lives so real, it will eclipse the eye. It will come in front of the eye and cover the eye. It will cover me because I've chosen to take it and put it in that place every single day. I've chosen to take the cross and Jesus' sacrifice for my life and move it into a position where it covers I and all that I see is him, which enables me to deny myself, right? To allow him to restore me and to put me in a place and a right position with him. Isn't that a cool picture? When you look at the cross, you move into a position in your life in front of you, in front of I and what I want. And what he wants will supersede in your life. Acts 5.32, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit key whom God has given to those who obey. He will enable you. He will enable you to move that cross in front of I. So that that cross becomes brighter, bigger, and more relevant and more applicable. Right? Are you with me? And more real every single day. His spirit will be with us in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So the question this morning, will you allow him to restore you? Will you allow him to lead you, right, for his name's sake? See, because his name's on you as his sheep. His name's on you in this, that that's, that's my sheep. I'll feed that sheep. I'll care for that sheep. That's my sheep because people look at me and how I care for them. And my name is on this. You ever get that way about anything you do? You finish your paper, right? You finish your project at work and you put your name on it. When you send that email or you make that presentation, bye. Your name is on it. And when he looks at you, child of the king, his name is upon you. And he said, this is my best work yet. I am so pleased with this child. My name is on this child. I will not leave nor forsake this child. My name is on this work. I am their shepherd and they are my sheep. Are you with me? And my spirit is in them, helping them every step of the way. Will you allow him to restore you in this way, to gently take you out of that downcast position and put you right side up? 
Will you allow him to lead you for his name's sake? The first question that comes to mind is where are you at with him? Is he your shepherd? Can you say that the Lord is my shepherd? Which means you're in that personal relationship with him. You're in that flock. That comes by way of salvation. Salvation comes by way of repentance. Repentance is this understanding that I'm going in this direction as a sheep who thinks they know everything about everything. And I'm going to turn and go in this direction and trust the shepherd. That's the first question. It may be for the first time or you may be doing it again because it's been a wild or difficult summer, okay? But we have to make that decision paramount in our lives. Are you with me? That's the biggest thing you have to choose this morning. Is he your shepherd? So what we like to do is just close ourselves in for a moment. And I want you to look at the back of your eyelids in this moment. Those two questions that have been posed before you. Is he leading you? Are you in a place of repentance before him? Or is he your shepherd? Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? Can you boast that in your life? If you can't, make a decision to do so. I know it's counterculture. I know it may not make sense to love him more than yourself. I know it may not make sense to love others more than yourself. But Jesus did it. And he showed us that we can too. You're like, yeah, but Jesus died on the cross. He surely did. So that you could make this decision today and lead other people to the cross. They could die to self and live in him because of you, his prized possession. The one that he would leave everybody for and he has before to bring back into the fold. So if you want to make that type of decision this morning, just simply look at me and we're going to pray together, okay? Just a moment. Just look at me, lock eyes for just a second. You can close your eyes again. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. All right. Quite a few of us. That's good. It's good decisions. <laughs> Making good decisions. Wow. Big thought. So God, we thank you this morning that so many have chosen to take up residence in your son's, the good shepherd's pasture. We know that he is the way, the truth, and life, that there's no way to you, God, but through him, that the cross did that work so that we can repent today and know that we are alive in him. And we thank you for it. God, I thank you for the miracle of salvation and what you've done. I thank you for the the miracle, too, in some ways, of restoration and what you've done. And I thank you that we can lean on you and we can lean into you and that we can trust you and that we can walk with you, that we know that you you will help us and keep us on the move and keep us healthy. And we thank you for it. You are our good shepherd, and we shall not want. You are everything, and we thank you for it. So for this reason, we have reason to say thank you.